Hi everyone, I'm Elena Aguilar and this is the Bright Morning Podcast. So this week, we've got a new kind of episode for you. We're calling it the Grab Bag Episode. And it's one that we'll do ever so often. And each Grab Bag Episode will be co-hosted. I'll invite someone to come on with me and basically just have a conversation about what is going on, what's going on in our lives, what's bringing us joy, where we're finding hope, and I don't know what else. We'll see what happens. In the other episodes on our podcast, you hear me as a coach or as an interviewer, and I love doing those. And... I also want to share other parts of myself with you, and that's what I hope will happen in these grab bag episodes, that there'll be really a more intimate opportunity for me to share some personal stories and share what I'm doing and thinking and how I'm feeling. So for this first grab bag episode, I have invited my friend and colleague, Laura Brewer, to co-host And I hope that many of you already know about Laura and the work that she does, but in case you don't, here's just a little bit about her. She's a leadership coach, a speaker, a writer, and an educator. She teaches an incredible course called How to Hold Whiteness Responsibly. She does a lot of work around anti-racism and working with white people around anti-racism. She also has her own podcast, which is called How to Make Love, and I highly recommend it. And those are just some descriptors of who she is and what she does. There's so much more. But for me, who she is, she is an endless inspiration for so many reasons. She's a badass. She's a tender and fierce adventurer who goes to places that, well, you'll hear on this podcast, the kind of things that she's exploring. And, you know, she's a really good listener. She, every time we have a conversation, I walk away from it feeling like I was really heard and seen. So Laura is my co-host And we're also doing something else that is unique and different today, which is we are releasing this episode on Sunday. We usually release our episodes on Monday, but this episode has a lot in it that I hope will help you prepare for election day and the days before and the days after. And so I said, hey, why not release this a day early? And hopefully lots of you will have a chance to listen to this on Sunday and Monday. And that leads me to my weekly request. And for all of you who are regular listeners, thank you so much for already having reviewed and rated us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for hearing my requests every week. And for those of you who haven't yet had a chance to do that, I'd be so grateful if you could hop over to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars. It'll take you like 20 seconds or less. It really helps. Okay, let's get into this conversation. Okay, so Laura, will you start off 
tell us where you are located right now. I'm sitting in my car right now um, in Durham, North Carolina. I actually had a dream that we were visiting in person last night. And, oh. and I was like, oh, this is where you live. It's beautiful here. I've never been to Durham. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it's a fine town. It's a beautiful place. And I am currently on Eno and Okanichi land. And it's a lovely, lovely fall day. <sighs> so we are recording this on Friday, October 30th. And this episode is going to come out the day before election day or the final day to vote. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about your podcast, episode 56, Election Self-Care, which, yeah, we'll talk more about that. But I have some things that I want to ask you first, because... I want to include that conversation in a broader one. And so this new podcast structure, we're calling the grab bag episode. There can be all kinds of things in here. I love having what feels like this wide open expanse and freedom to talk about whatever comes up or whatever I feel like talking about or whatever my co-host feels like talking about. But one of the segments that I want to try out is called Give Me Five. And that is five things that are bringing you joy right now. And after you share yours, I'll share mine. Okay. So what's bringing you joy? Do you want to do it right now? You get to share right now. What's bringing you joy right now? Okay. Um, three spiders that I share residence with that I have named and become invested in. I like watching them every day. Pumpkins, the leaves changing colors. Going fishing. And the sound of my partner when she laughs. Mm. Mm. how big are the spiders <clears throat> uh okay rick and sophia are small and pointy i really dislike spiders i'll uh-huh. just say you know like i've been sharing residence with them for a while they survived a power washing of the house and the window <laughs> cleaning and so now i'm like really invested in their survival so they're like small and kind of pointy and sharp looking and terrifying. And then Ruby uh, lives outside and she's about two inches with a big bottom. And she gives me, she just creeps me right out. But again, I'm, I'm very invested in her and I like watching her build her web. And yeah, <clears throat> those are my spiders. Okay, I'm really amused and kind of creeped out and also in <laughs> awe of your ability to transform that relationship that just says so much about you and your relationship to fear and the way that you face your fears and engage with them and, and bring lightness. 
I'm so not there yet. <laughs> I also would just, you, uh, the five things that you mentioned are all uh, brought me so immediately into your physical reality. Hmm. Like sounds and textures and visuals and tastes. Are so grounding for me, at least. Yeah. <clears throat> I am trying to stay out of my head these days as much as possible. It's scary in there. And I think all of those things are bringing me joy because they pull me out of my head and they are, they're just visceral. Like the color of a pumpkin, if you really look at it, it's wild. I know. You know, where did that I, come from? Yeah, I know. It really is. So a couple of weeks ago, I created, I built this altar in my office it's an altar to the creative project that I'm working on right now and to ancestors. And I put a pumpkin on there and a pomegranate. And both of those, you know, things that come from nature, like the colors of those and the textures and the smell and the inside, they're just amazing. Yeah, they really are. That sounds like a beautiful altar. There's more. And Happy Halloween and, and Day of the Dead than solid to uh, your ancestors. I know. This is, and a full moon this weekend too. It's just. I know, it's wild. <clears throat> it's hot. It is a lot. You know, one of the things that is bringing me joy right now, I'm, I'm, I actually took your sharing as an invitation to drop a bit more into my body. And I have a relatively new set of products for the face and body, which are bringing me so much joy. So it is so dry in California right now. We haven't had a drop of rain in months and months. And it's just this like dry season. And a month or two ago, I discovered these, this product line called Fat and the Moon. And it's this kind of Northern California, very herbal, hippie, oily stuff. And so I've been lathering on this oil, face oil and body oil, in part to deal with the dryness of California. But it also, it smells really like herbally and earthy. And I don't have to be on a screen today, so my face can be really saturated in oil. And that is bringing me joy. That sounds wonderful and, and sensual and sexy and juicy and delicious and all the things. It's really soothing good stuff. Yeah. It's really good stuff. I keep mm. putting it on in part, even though my face is super oily right now, I just keep putting it on because I love the smell and the ritual. And first there's face mist and then there's the, this thick oil that just feels so good. So that's bringing me joy. What else is bringing you joy? My cat, my cat Mango is just endless love and joy. And this morning we had a super cuddle session and you have, you know, about cats. And so you know that you can't, like they do what they want to do. And this morning he was like splayed out on my chest with his arms reaching up and around me. So I just sat with him because I couldn't, 
I couldn't really read or use my computer because he he's a big cat. He takes up a lot of space. And so I just cuddled with him and he purrs so loud. And then he opens his eyes and he makes eye contact with me. And I, he's just saying, he is saying, I love you. And so we just had some time together this morning. That sounds so delightful. I have a little snuggle bug cat too. And I've been like kissing on him and snuggling him extra. Yeah. Kind of whether he likes it or not. I just I like need that right now. And I'm so glad you got in a good, a good snuggle session this morning. Yes, it is. It's, he's like medicine. I just, you know, I don't know what happens, but I, I need that kitty and it's good. He needs me too. We cuddle a lot. This is really, well, this is really trivial and I'm going to share it. And it's so, but it's bringing me so much joy because it is kind of so ridiculous and so trivial, which is that next week for the first time in eight months or something, I get to go see the lady who does my eyebrows and Mm. my eyebrows. This is the one thing that I go and somebody else does and it makes me so happy and she has not worked since before the pandemic and she's opening and I get to go see her next week so that is bringing me kind of ridiculous joy right now that's wonderful I don't know what happens when you take your eyebrows to someone (laughs) but um (laughs) I'm really excited for you um and I'm excited for her and I'm glad you're going to get to venture out into the world well, okay. So here's what happens. So she does this eyebrow threading thing. And so it doesn't hurt, but I have one of my eyebrows grows straight and the other one grows with a big arch. And so my eyebrows often look like I'm really perplexed. Like I'm really surprised because one eyebrow is really high up. <laughs> So I can do, and I I don't have the patience to try to do anything by myself, like with tweezers, because I just can't deal with it, and I and I hurt it hurts, and I don't like doing it. So I've just let them. I've been perplexed for seven and a half months, and now I'm like, oh, she'll even them out. It's kind of, I guess, maybe it's like symbolic. Like I feel more balanced and and not confused. <laughs> That's what happens. Does she flatten the one out, or does she arc the one that's kind of flat? You know, I don't really know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. And her name is Elrisa, and I miss her. And she's just like, I just have this, like, she's, I don't know how to describe her, but I'm kind of infatuated with her for the 15 minutes that I get to be with her every month or two. And um, so I can't wait to see her. I also just really like her. And we have fun, short conversations about travel and jewelry and things. And so I get to see Elrisa next week. I told you it was trivial. Great. Okay, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you something that's more meaningful, but which is just making me so deep. It's like, there's like layers of joy. And this is a really deep one, which is that, so my husband, Stacy has known since he was six years old, that he was an artist and he spent many, many years not really being able to do his art. But for the last few years, he's been doing it full time. And he has a piece in the de Young Museum in San Francisco, which is a huge, very important museum. And it's a huge piece. And it's beautiful and really 
powerful and it's just incredible. And I'm so happy for him. And he's gotten all this great feedback. And it's just like, it feels like he's finally getting the kind of recognition and validation that he deserves. And so it's just, it's just bringing me so much joy to be a witness to where he's at and also just to his decades and decades of commitment to his art and to no matter what anybody has told him to, to persisting and to continuing to create and to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I love that you're finding joy and in bearing witness um, and you can celebrate with him. That's really amazing and special. I wish I were in California to be able to come see it. Yeah. And it's so, he has inspired me for so many years in terms of staying committed to a creative practice, no matter what, you know, and doing what you are called to do and not what other people think you should be doing. He does what he wants to do. And it's, it's just been an endless source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing all of that with me. And it, that is actually really connected to my last thing that's bringing me a lot of joy. I mean, they're so interconnected, which is during the last couple of months, I've started working on a creative writing project that is something that is really not similar in any way to anything that I've already written and published. But it is something that my my heart and my mind and my body and like my whole spirit have been aching to create and to express. And now I have finally created the space for it to come out. And it's just bringing me, it's, it's bigger than joy. It's like, it's a relief to be doing it. It feels grounding and anchoring and exciting and energizing and healing and nourishing and everything. I guess that is joy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my last thing. That's amazing. My friend, I'm so delighted that you're getting to spend that kind of time with your creativity. How does your creativity manifest or show up? Or how do you express it? Oh, gosh, I wish I knew. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting timing, that question, because I really have had, it, my therapist would call it libido, like life's energy. And I really haven't had creative libido in months and months and months. The pandemic has been really extraordinarily difficult in terms of allowing my creativity to flourish. But just this month, I, it's like come back in full force. So it's this interesting, like, how do, how do I nurture it and take care of it? And even when it's not there. And for me, that looks like I tend to procrastinate. It's just who I am. And so I've been surrounding myself with musical instruments as a mode of procrastination. Mm. So, you know, I can procrastinate a project and pick up the guitar or fiddle on the keyboard or you know, whatever it is. And so I've just been learning about like, how do I, even when I don't feel it present, I know it's there somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I know it's there. So how do I, how do I nurture it thoughtfully as if it were present? And then right now, I think it's just like a a deep honoring of time to allow it to come out and frolic and play around and, and be 
mm-hmm. um, rather than like, oh, it'll be n- nice to do if I can make the time here, what about it, it just treating it as sacred and treating it as just important, in fact, more important in some ways than a client call or a meeting or a, you know, whatever, put it on my calendar and really honor it. Mm-hmm. I mean, messing around with instruments and music seems like you may think about it as procrastination, but it also sounds beautiful. It sounds lovely. It's it lovely. Yeah. I think your creative self is finding a way to warm itself up or be here, be present or show up or peek out. Yeah. I hear you on this year. It's been, yeah. Okay. I feel like I want to, I want to talk about the election and self-care and the other part of me just doesn't want to. I'm having, this is, this is very reflective of my state. I want to shut down and crawl into a hole or charge and mm. attack and wield a weapon. Can you put words to how you're feeling right now? I don't know. It's a weird embodiment of a a few things all at once. Dread, desperateness for it to just get here already. Let's get this over with. Moments of excitement when I allow myself to really take in all of the people that have been doing early voting and the empowerment that that people are taking up, taking on. Denial, like I want to pretend that next week is a normal week. No, it's not. Fierce, fiery, angry. All of those things. Hmm. I'm about to ask you how you're feeling, but then I'm hesitant because I heard you say you're you're not sure if you want to talk about the election or not. And I want to honor. I'm happy to climb in a hole with you. I'm happy to get out the sword with you or do, do anything in between. Well, I'm really questioning, you- I'm really questioning my own patterns, my own tendencies. They've worked for me in the past. And I think there have been some unintended consequences. And I think that, you know, they worked for me, but that doesn't mean that there are tweaks I can make to improve my coping mechanisms. So your, again, your episode number 56, election self-care, it kind of rattled me. And I listened to it three times. I was in the car, I was driving, and I listened to the whole thing three times right then. And then I listened to it again and transcribed all of your questions. And it it just, I mean, it made me cry multiple times. Mm made me have a lot of feelings and, but it also did give me, like, it felt like it gave me a starting point and I get so swamped and overwhelmed 
And so your questions, first of all, for those who haven't listened to this, as soon as this episode is done, go and listen to it. So you have these tips, strategies, and reflection questions to plan intentional care amidst the election. And then you've got three sections for team leaders, for family units, and for self. And first I listened and I thought through myself as a team leader. And then I thought about myself as a person in a family and then about myself. But the ones for the family, those were, have been so helpful to start talking to Stacy about how we're going to make a plan for the whole next week. And he's been asking me to talk about my feelings and a plan. And I've just kind of like, I push him aside and I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> I have things to do. I got to go. And just this morning I said, yeah, I do. I want to sit down. I want to have this conversation. I want to bring our son into this and, and make a plan. And I feel like you gave me the scaffold, literally the questions. Here are the things to talk about. Okay, let's talk about it. You've got simple things like advanced meal planning and planning family dates and how we support each other in the absence of clarity and how we proactively ask each other how we might be feeling and what we might need there's so much here that helps me feel like, okay, I can do this. I need a scaffold. I need some prompts and I can do this. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling really overwhelmed and super anxious. And yeah. I also, okay, I have a question for you about these. In the section for team leaders, the first thing you talked about was communication and you suggested writing it now, which is so smart what will we say to our teams if Trump loses? And then there's all these prompts that are really good. What will we say if Trump wins? And then you said, how will you hold space for total hopelessness or anger or devastation? And my response, do I have to? Do I have to hold space for my team for total hopelessness or anger or devastation? Do I have to? Is that my responsibility as a team leader? Are you asking me? Yes, I am. I want your answer. <laughs> I have no idea. I well, mean, do, no, I, don't, what to do. I, I don't think you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have to do anything. But I think what I'm trying to get folks to think about is before we are under the throes of live reactive emotion to create a little bit of spaciousness for ourselves right now to say like, what type of leader would I like to be that week? What type of leader do I, do I imagine I may or may not have capacity to be? And maybe it's important for you to provide space for your folks to come together for devastation or hopelessness or elation or whatever it is. But maybe in that spaciousness, you're able to see that you're not positioned to hold the space. You don't want to hold the space. And so now you have a few days to kind of reach out and see who on your team or who in your life and your world might be willing or able to hold that space so that if folks are feeling those things, they can come to it. Hmm. I just think a lot of things are true. I think if you're a team yeah. leader, like, yes, particularly if you're a team leader in the context of justice, like if, if, if any part of I mean, we all are, but especially if we are consciously, purposefully, intentionally naming 
humanity, justice, liberation as part of our, our missions and aims and values, then, you know, on the one hand, yes, we absolutely have to hold this kind of space. That is the work. That's, mm-hmm. that's the work of declaring and holding and dignifying humanity, even when it feels completely absent or gone or lost. And then, of course, on the other hand, no, you don't have, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And you may not want to, and that's okay. Yeah, maybe my question is also about when. Maybe it doesn't have to be Wednesday or even Thursday. And maybe it's even just communicating with my team about, first of all, I may not be able to. I may not be able to right away. That doesn't mean that you can't gather. Absolutely. That's really the spirit is let's anticipate the things that we need to communicate Mm -hmm. so that things aren't even harder or more strained than they may already be. Even if Trump loses the, I mean, like we already know like ballots are being mailed in. We're not going to have clarity for a while, early vote, you know, there's all kinds of things. And so I think we're going to be in this kind of liminal space of tension and anxiety for a while. And even just kind of naming, I mean, I hope I'm wrong about all that, but I'm allowing myself to consider that from, again, from a place of spaciousness. And so if I, if I imagine that happening, what feels important to communicate and, your boundaries are beautiful things to communicate. Your needs are beautiful things to communicate. They're human things to communicate. Mm-hmm. I just, I really believe that we're all going to be better for thinking about this now rather than being caught off guard and then being in a position where we're leading live real time in a space of raw emotion and confusion or anxiety or whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I completely. I mean, I think that was one of the most you know, the huge powerful takeaway was plan now. And I think even though folks are going to be hearing this conversation on Monday, plan on Monday, plan, plan that evening, plan Tuesday morning. You'll probably still have a chance to plan on Wednesday. But I also, by the end of that section about team leaders, I just want to say that I was, my response to myself was, yes, I do have to hold space for others and not, and not have to, it was actually, I want to. And at the end of that section, you said, our collective response matters, so does our collective care. And I think it was those phrases that reminded me of my commitment to community and to collective. And that's why I say my individual coping mechanisms have often been, they've worked, but I don't know if they still really hold and are aligned to my values because my individual coping mechanisms are like, okay, I function really well in a crisis. I get very functional. I can take care of a lot of things. I can multitask. I can manage all kinds of everything for everybody. And part of the way I do that is I completely disconnect from my emotions. And it's like I have blinders on. And anybody who's around me is sort of, you know, deal with yourself, take care of yourself, or I can be present for them in a way, but it feels very disingenuous or disembodied or performative or something. It's not like I'm really there. They experience me sometimes as being really there, but I'm not really. I'm just doing, I'm do, checking another thing off the list. And then, you know, months or years later, I can, there's various ways in which my mind and body and heart is like, oh yeah, you know what? You kind of got to process that stuff. And then it, you know, then you know what happens. And so by the end of, that's what, you know, this 
episode was so powerful. I was like, I want to, I want to show up for my community. I want to be in community with others, even if it means that I can't hold space for others, I can still be a part of this community. It was really a lot. I'm glad it moved you. I appreciate you for allowing it to move you. Okay, I have a couple more questions that are on my list of topics to talk about in this grab bag episode, which are, I think, will, which, which will weave very well into what we've just been talking about. And I, I'll, I'm going to answer this first question first. So this question that we want to actually ask every time we do a grab bag episode and have a co-host is what's giving you hope? So I started working with someone who calls herself a creativity coach. I started working with her about six weeks ago and it has been so much fun and so energizing and I feel like all these different kinds of blocks are being undone and moved out of the way. And I just had a session with her this morning. She does, she includes sound healing and all these things that I wouldn't otherwise do, but I'm really open to doing everything. So she has me like singing and chanting and humming. And I don't know, in the first session, I, uh, there was rolling on the floor and crying. And, and so it, she integrates all, like it's very embodied. There's these other, I mean, she didn't tell me to roll on the floor and cry, just to clarify. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> I really love working with her. She does all these like visualizations and imagery and she plays instruments and she hums along and then we do talking of things. And, but when I started working with her, I said, I'm really stuck in my head. I do a lot with things in my head and words and I can talk and talk and talk and talk. And so it would be great if you can make me do things that aren't talking. And she's very intuitive and she's a coach. And so it's really cool. And I really credit working with her to being able to clear this space to be able to write the project that I'm writing now. So this morning we met and one of the things that we talked about was how to, how to engage in the next week. And at the very end of it, she said, I just have this intuitive sense that what would be helpful for you next week or starting tomorrow is to, to ask yourself this question every day. And the question is, what's one thing I can do today in service of beauty or to honor beauty? And that just, you know, when you hear something and sort of your whole body just feels like it sort of melts and ignites at the same time. And I had been talking about things, including cave paintings in Zimbabwe and looking at fabrics in Kenya and altars that people make for the Day of the Dead. And, and we were talking about singing and music. And it just felt like there's, I find so much hope 
in in connecting with or remembering the beauty that human beings have created on this planet and human beings have always created beautiful things and always and have created music for 40,000 years at least i mean probably way before that but we have evidence of like 40,000 years ago that they were playing flutes and dancing and and that gives me so much hope. I don't know. That's the way that I want to think about this next week. It's staying connected to beauty. Mm. That sounds like a really worthwhile aspiration and intention. What about you? What's giving you hope? The honest answer, Elena, is like nothing. Mm. and and that feels totally fine to me so it actually feels really good it feels really truthful I recently um went on this exploration and kind of made a decision that I don't need hope Mm. because I I haven't had it for a while for months and months and months Uh, and actually I think for a couple of years and it was really bothering me like this 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 huge thing is missing. I've got to find it. I've got to figure out why it's gone, how to get it back. And, and then I kind of caught myself and I said, like, says who, says who? Who says I need hope? Do I need hope? And my answer was actually no. I, it, that's not, I, I really respect that other human beings need that, want that. But I, I've recently discovered for myself, at least at this moment in my life, I don't need hope. Mm. And I'm not experiencing that my life is any less beautiful, turns out, again, at least for right now. I, don't, I, I can't tell you about tomorrow or a year from now, but yeah, it's, it's just not something I need. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I can't answer that question. I don't really think there, I'm not looking for anything to give me hope, mm-hmm. but I can tell you lots of things that bring me joy or beauty or, I don't know. I, I love that question that your, your coach asked. But I think we could swap it out for a whole host of things. Mm-hmm. Actually, what it made me think, like, one of the questions it made me think of is, where can I honor despair every day? Mm. Or whatever it is, whatever emotion that I either really want to be honoring and, and maybe I'm not feeling intimately connected to, or maybe something that's feeling not as present that I want more of. But yeah, I guess it's just a shout out to anyone out there who's, who's feeling hopeless and, and not feeling hope. And it's an invitation that whether it's hope or anything else, an invitation to question the things that others might need, but maybe we don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you said that. I, I have a, I feel like I have a ever shifting relationship with hope and with what it means to need it. And, and it is connected to relationship with fear and despair and death. And so I also want to talk about your emerging, developing, deepening relationship with death. Sure. 
so for, for folks listening who may not know me, I recently finished my training as a death doula, as an end-of-life doula. And, you know, I guess in some ways, Elena, I'm not, I'm not totally sure how to answer that question. I don't know what my emerging relationship with death is. I just, I have a few beliefs that have become kind of centripetal forces in my, in my life. And they've kind of all culminated together at this point in time. What does it mean to be a death doula? I think it, it, it can mean a lot of different things, but in the same in the same long history that we have of predominantly women, not not exclusively, sitting beside other women as they give birth, you know, and ushering them through that process and helping them prepare and helping care for their bodies and helping provide support. There's a similar ancient tradition. It's not one that we're particularly well connected to in the West, but that many, many cultures have honored and, and nurtured where folks um, sit beside the dying. They help heal relationships that are causing suffering. They help people think about their legacies. They sit with them through the death and dying process. They hold vigil. They support family members and processing emotions or creating plans. So I think it can look very, very different for many different practitioners. But it, it's, it's, it's ultimately a very intimate relationship and a sacred relationship with death and, and being with those who are dying and in the dying process mm-hmm. or their families. It sounds so beautiful and I, I really don't have words to describe how that sounds to me but when you first shared that i thought such a you know what how incredible that something like that exists and then i thought what would that have been like if we had had someone who was an end-of-life doula when my mother was dying, that would have been... Immediately, I can think of so many ways in which that experience would have been different. And for lack of a better word right now, better for everyone. Yeah, sure. And why shouldn't... Why can't our death be... I'm so intrigued by what this is that you're taking up. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot about this notion of dying well and the support that we need to do that and the closure that we, we need to do that, the healing that we need to do that, the pragmatic things that we need to do that, particularly if we're not, if for whatever reason, we're not able to make those decisions for ourselves. So some of the work that I do is with people who are, you know, perfectly healthy and we're thinking about legacy work, we're doing advanced directives, we're confronting fears of death that kind of shrink the way that people live mm-hmm. um, or the things that they give their, themselves permission to do. Yeah. In other cases, it's sitting beside people in, in a dying process. And in other cases, it's being with people with terminal diagnoses, preparing and discussing what they need to to die well. Yeah, everything. And that's why I was making the connection between right now, at least my, my need for finding hope has so much to do with my fear of death. 
And I'm just not, I'm not ready to confront that. I'm not ready to deal with that. I can't, you know, maybe, maybe in a few years or something, but 2020 has been enough for me right now. Yeah. But it's on my to-do list. (laughs) It's a, it's on my bucket list. No, really. I mean, it's all like, it's all about everything. Everything is all, I mean, for me, at least I, I will just say I can connect practically every decision I make, every emotional response I have to fear of death. And yeah, me, yeah, me too. Yeah. And then I'm like, if I just, if I could reconcile with my fear of death, maybe, and then I can see this whole string of things and issues that I'm dealing with in life that might be easier I could just deal with that like root cause. Yeah, I don't know. I relate a ton. I think the thing that initially brought me to this started when I was a child, but for for many, 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 many years, anytime that I would actually sit and think about death with any kind of seriousness, I would have a panic attack, like a full-fledged, completely embodied panic attack. And that's been true since I was a little bitty. And so the original impetus of this was to loosen the grip that that fear has on me because it, you know, it starts there, but it, it masquerades in so many other ways. You know, it inhibits the risk that I take as an entrepreneur. It inhibits my desire to be vulnerable in relationship. It's all, it's all connected. And my fear of death has me reach for a particular relationship with control and I think there are so many connections between death and white supremacy, the way that we have treated death in the West, at least. And I just wanted to get in there and understand it better and understand the dying process better. And I don't know. I don't know that you're sitting down to, to really grasp it at the roots is going to make anything else easier necessarily, but it would certainly be fascinating to see what's in there. Smashing all of my little attempts at hope. I'm sorry. Yes. No, you know, you should have your hope. Have your hope. We need, I wanna, we need hope. We need people to, to carry hope. So I really want to hear more about the connections that you're making between our relationship with death and white supremacy. And I also heard you say yesterday that you're thinking about making some shifts in your podcast to have more space to talk about about how we die. And I, I, yeah. I can't wait to hear those. I hope you do that. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I have a really, I'm really excited about it and I think it's really special, but it's a, it's a coaching based program. It's called how to die and it's going to be coming out on my birthday in January mm-hmm. uh, in the winter when everything's dying. And it'll be for people who are curious about death, you know, afraid of death, terminally ill, healing from cancer, any, anywhere in their journey. And it's going to be one part literal where we, you know, we create our dance directives. We, we write our obituaries. We think about the planning and preparation that's necessary while we can do that from a place of spaciousness. Um, and intentionality. So one part literal, but also one part kind of deep inner work on our relationship with death and the ways that that shapes our life. I really deeply believe that 
the work of anti-racism or the work of equity and justice and liberation has to involve letting pieces of ourselves that are deeply invested in white supremacy die and actively taking those things through a death process. So it's going to be all of those things. And, you know, I know not everyone's going to be able to participate in the program. So I've just been thinking about, well, I will probably do a little mini series on, on my podcast and, and let how to die, take the lead for one or two months and bring some aspects of that program to the podcast so that everybody can access it. Hmm. So that's the plan right now. I'm really excited by it. And I'm glad to hear that it resonated with you and they got intrigued and excited about it too. Yes. I can't wait. Um, strange, <laughs> strange phrase, phrase to use, but it's just, I feel like it, it would be a relief to start talking, listening, engaging. It would be a relief for me. Are you currently reading anything that you would recommend? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm laughing because... I have it in the car with me, actually. I'm reading, it's, it's a really important classic text by Joan Halifax, but it's called Being with Dying, mm-hmm. Cultivating Compassion and Fearlessness in the Presence of Death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Joan Halifax has worked in hospice for many decades and is also a Zen, um, of Zen lineage, Buddhist practitioner, teacher. And so it's, it's, you know, one part stories about experiences of being with death, her experiences of being with death clients, patients she supported through the death and dying process, and then also meditations to help cultivate the conditions that we need to, to die well, or just more broadly to be in the presence of suffering and pain without projecting our needs all over it, you know, to be with others and their suffering. Wow. It's a beautiful book. Wow. Hmm. I love her as a teacher. Yeah, I haven't read that. I am reading a book called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin mm. Wall Kimmerer. Have you read it? Yes. Yes. I am so completely taken with this book. I can't. It's, I mean, it is definitely on my top 10 ever. It's, yep. it's about, well, those. Subtitle is Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. And Stacy read it a few years, like five years ago, and he's been telling me, I think you'd really like it. I think you'd really like it. And I finally started reading it. It's a sort of short essays. And I read one every morning, and I just love this book. I love this book. I love this book so much. I want everybody to read it. I was actually going to, like, this would have been sneaky and my son wouldn't appreciate this, but I want to email his English teachers and beg them to make students read it. Mm. I just, I think everybody should read it. It's the only way my son would read it is if it was an English assignment, but I just want him to read it. Just the completely different paradigm through which she presents the natural world and people and our relationship with nature. I really feel like I've been reading it for about two and a half weeks and I read in the morning, usually with a cat on top of me drinking coffee. And I feel like 
my entire day is positively shaped by that 20 or 30 minutes of reading this book in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I have one more question or sort of inquiry, and that's also connected to the episode that you just released. So it's about self-care. What is self-care looking for you right now, looking like for you? Hmm. Watching my spiders. Sophia, Rick, and Ruby. Fishing. Sleeping in a little bit longer later than I have. I'm just trying to honor the change in seasons and my body is hasn't quite decided what its rhythm is in this new season. So I'm just trying to allow it a little bit more space to find its way into, into that. Mm-hmm. Making music. A lot of the things that we've talked about, mm-hmm. moving my body a little bit each day. Um, writing with my favorite pen. Mm. Eating things that are good for me. Mm. How about you? Um, saying no. Amen. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I love that. Yeah, I feel like it's something that in some ways I feel like it's something that I've done and been actually good at doing for many years. And in spite of that, I still see many places where my boundaries are porous. And so I think, I think I'm good at saying no, but I'm only kind of good at saying no to like one layer of things. And I actually really need and want to work on the next layers of things to say no to and put boundaries around. Part of what that is about is really honoring the creative side of me that absolutely needs more space to come out and has been clamoring for years for more space while I keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I got things to do. I've got workshops to prepare. I've got, you know, and so I keep saying, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. And I'm done with that. Like this year, 2020, I'm just done with that. I don't want to wait anymore. And so in order for me to have the time to honor these other parts of myself, and to really honor the relationships that I want to have with people, I have to say no more. More, I have to say no more often to more things. I have to create more boundaries. And it's feeling really good. Mm. I'm over here with my hand in the air, just taking all this in and witnessing you. It's really, really, really beautiful and powerful. Yeah, it's... You know, this is, I mean, for like for so many people, right? It's a lifelong exploration of what are our boundaries. And, and then what's our, you know, there's our boundaries and our relationship to others and our individualism and collectivism and community. And it's really 
for me, it requires a lot of awareness and attention and an exploration of like, what are all the things that are involved in saying no? Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, it's like everything connects to death because related to saying no is accepting loss and being okay with yeah. loss. And that's hard too. It's really hard. I, in, in my end of life doula training, there was a week where, a couple of weeks actually, we were preparing to lead and facilitate an activity called a dignity project, which is basically, for lack of a better phrase, like an interview at the end of life or as someone is facing the end of their life. And so we went through it as a participant and as a facilitator of the experience for a volunteer. And while I was being interviewed, I think the question was, one of the questions was something like, what are you most proud of? And the very first thing that came out and it came from my unconscious was I'm proud of every no that mm. I declared for mm. myself. And it actually made me emotional to, to hear and witness that coming out of me. And I'm, I'm proud of it because it is, it's hard for many of us. It is the, the practice of declaring and owning our no's is, can be a profoundly difficult and challenging practice. Also be like just so liberating, healing and sexy and wonderful and all the things. But yeah, I really, I just relate a ton to what you're saying. And yes, there's, there's loss. It was to confront our stuff around disappointing others. We've got to clarify our boundaries. We have to clarify our wants and our needs. And then, you know, I think the, the through line is always, Toward death and, and control, but I just I really honor all your nodes, Elena, and the deeper levels that you're settling into and discovering. Thank you. What's also so interesting is now, and and this has been for a little while. When I say yes, it's such a it's such a full yes. You know, it's not a like murky or maybe or a little bit yes or well, okay, I don't really want to do this, but it's like such a yes. And so I get so much joy out of whatever I say yes to. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm really there and I really want to be there and it's really right. And so that's also what helps me to, to keep saying no. Yeah. I had a coach who... Um, kind of reframed yeses and nos for me once and said something like, you know, when you, when you learn to see that your nos are actually yeses to something else, it can help a little bit. And so I played with that for a while. I was like, okay, if I say no to this, what am I saying yes to? And getting really clear about that for myself, which was super powerful. Mm-hmm. But then I was kind of also like, you know what? And a, a, a no doesn't have to be a yes to anything else. It is so worthy in and of itself, simply as a no. So I think that's more my practice these days is really sometimes the no is because I'm making a really declarative yes to something else and I'm clear about that. And sometimes it's just a no. And I'm trying to celebrate that too. Those are harder for me. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That a no can just be a no. Yeah. And it is worthy in and of itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. <sighs> what are your plans for for Tuesday? I'm gonna be in the car driving, driving to see one of my partners. So I'm gonna have some audiobooks ready to go, and I'll be driving from the south up to the north, taking the leads, allow myself to just kind of be in the things that are beautiful to me. I'll probably check in with some close friends throughout the day. I have voted early, so uh, that won't be a part of my Tuesday. Mm. How about you? That sounds good. Well, that's what Stacy and I were just talking about when I said, I want to continue this conversation, but I have to go down and get set up to record this. But we started throwing out just ideas like maybe we should go to the ocean. The ocean's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away. And Mm. that is a place that we all feel very supported and alive, which is, I think what I need. I think I need some nature. Yeah. We started talking about what are we going to do as the results come in that night? When are we going to listen? What are we going to listen to? How long are we going to do this for? I feel like having a plan is going to be critical. And then Wednesday morning, and we talked about meditating together and having activity, you know, having like movies to watch that are fun or funny or distracting or something. So we're going to make our plan. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I'm going to go put more oil on my face. That makes me feel better. (laughs) It's been two hours. Whatever we need. We we need those comforts. Yeah. Whatever we need. Oh, that sounds really, really beautiful. And, you know, you can call me if you need anything, if you want some company. Thank you. I feel so honored and grateful for your yeses to me. You've said yes to me so many times. And you say, you know, you you offer... You offer so, like, I think it was the other day when I sent you a text message or something saying, I bought a cup of tea on my computer. What can I do? What do you need? That was, I, I just, I'm so um, grateful for, for your generosity. You're so easy to say yes to. <laughs> so um, I'm glad it feels good. I appreciate your creating the, a friendship space where I'm free to say yes or or no or offer whatever I have and it's always enough. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you for doing this, for saying yes to this conversation amidst everything. And right now I'm, as I said, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I, you... Your way of being just creates a lot of space for me to be who I am. I'm very grateful. And maybe just to be continued. Yes, to be continued. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me to the grab bag. All right, everybody. I hope you will look at our show notes. 
click on those links there so that you can dig deeper into Laura Brewer and her podcast and the other things that we mentioned. Maybe get yourself some new face oil. Check out the show notes. And you know what? We're here for you. We at Bright Morning, we are here for you as we go into whatever is next. And we will be together. Take care and be well, everyone.